This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. Last year's Cameron Peak wildfire charred hundreds of acres across the Front Range. On today's show, we hear how beavers helped spare a crucial wetland. And visitation to Colorado's public lands has dramatically increased through the pandemic. But Hispanic and Latinx Coloradans are not always welcomed in these spaces. We hear about efforts to make outdoor recreation more inclusive. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Henry Zimmerman. In 2020, despite price increases and various closures due to the pandemic, Colorado's state parks recorded record high visitation rates. In total, 18.3 million visitors recreated across the state's 41 parks. But as more Coloradans and tourists participate in the outdoors here, not everyone has been a part of that boom. Many prospective recreators don't feel welcome in the outdoors, or in many cases don't know how to access the public lands they pay for or what gear they need. Efforts are in place across the state to change that for everyone, including Hispanic and Latinx Coloradans, a group that has been historically underrepresented in the outdoors, and a part of Colorado's population that is on track for some major growth in the coming decades, by some estimates as many as one in four Coloradans by 2040. Joining us now to talk about the recent growth in outdoors participation, as well as efforts to encourage more Coloradans to get outdoors, especially those from underrepresented groups, are Juanita Echeverri, Education and Outreach Coordinator with the City of Boulder Open Space and Mountain Parks, Juan Ocampo, a resident ranger with Boulder County Parks and Open Space at Batasso Reserve, and Rafael Salgado, Executive Director of Calwood Education Center in Jamestown, Colorado. Thank you all for speaking with us. Thank you for inviting us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Juanita and Juan, I'd like to start with you two. The two of you work for the city of Boulder and Boulder County, respectively. Have you seen the kind of increased visitation that the state parks have been seeing recently? Yeah, it's it's very positive. We have had a lot of more participation from people that not traditionally used to visit. And um, it was a Nice to know that people are understanding the value of the outdoors uh, for physical, mental, and emotional health, especially during COVID times. Uh, people definitely were trying to have that respite in the open spaces, which was good. And with that, it comes also a little bit of uh, the difficulty of trying to share the trails with so many other visitors and all the implications of that. But we will talk about that later. Yeah, we've seen an increase in uh, visitor participation, uh, especially with the cycling boom that happened during COVID. Um, a lot of our parks you can mountain bike at, so we've seen a lot of more uh, new mountain bikers coming to our parks as well. Well, Juanita, you work in education and outreach. What has that looked like during the pandemic? Has it been easier to get people into the outdoors or more challenging? Um both. <laughs> we had uh, the opportunity to start uh, connecting with the public right after the COVID started. We needed to be in the trails, uh, giving information to, to visitors, to hikers. Because of the increase in visitation, it was very important for us to share the protocols of uh, the trail etiquette and, and how to make sure that everybody was going to have a positive experience and a safe experience. So it was also our opportunity to invite more families uh, that not traditionally visit to, to visit it more and to visit it safely. So the good thing is that we could do more smaller groups and, and more quality programs uh, because of that. So we were trying to find uh, trails that were, were wider 
uh, and that have access to parking. And uh, that was, we moved from trailhead to trailhead and different options. So families get the opportunity to see parks in the mountains, parks in the plains, parks by the creeks and by the lake. So they, the families had more ideas on where to go on their own time. Rafael, I want to turn to you now. You're also in the world of outdoors education, and for more than two decades, you've been the executive director at the Calwood Education Center, where you sort of work with schools and families to offer environmental education. Can you briefly tell us more about Calwood and the work you've done over the last few decades? Uh, sure. Calwood is a nonprofit organization that owns uh, an outdoor classroom of 200 acres. Uh, we're lucky to have this property in the middle of Boulder County, providing uh, science-based outdoor education programs to schools. Uh, most of the programs are for like a two nights and three days. And uh, the schools come from all over the place, mainly the front range. We try to reach out to low-income schools, uh, kids that traditionally don't have had the experience in, you know, especially spending the night in the outdoors. Almost 50% of our kids, we serve around 4,000 students a, a year, and almost 50% of those are uh, low-income or minority students. Since right after the flood, uh, because we had to deal with that as well as an organization, 2014, we started providing uh, programs for Latino families. Um, and we did that because we understand that um, the kids, when they come up here with the schools, they get really excited about the outdoors. And a lot of them, you know, when they go back to home, they tell their parents about that experience. But uh, a lot of the families just don't know, you know, where to take them. The kids want to go back to the mountains, but the families don't know where to start. So having families coming up here and spend the night camping in a tent, it's a big deal, you know, especially for those families who've never done it before. Let me tell you, you know, when they do it for the first time, it's just like a finding something that they were looking for. They get really excited about the outdoors and they want more, they want to learn more. They want to know where, what else they can go, what else can they, they can do. And they ask questions about the gear. And uh, so this program has grown quite a bit actually. And we, tend, we intend to actually keep growing the program because there's a lot of demand. The families get excited about the outdoors and uh, now they want to go camping in this, the state park, so the national park, public lands. It is really exciting to actually have the opportunity to serve a community that way. I'm wondering if the three of you could talk about some of the challenges you've heard to maybe why people don't go outdoors or don't do the things they want to do outside. So I think one of the biggest barriers is time. Uh, for many of the families, um, time is a luxury that not many have to uh, spend. More, many of the families or the parents work two and three jobs. So the, the time that they have off, it's already too busy with trying to have family time, quality time and do the errands and organize the house and, and move to the next week or the next uh, work week. So definitely time is a, a barrier and a luxury. Uh, transportation is always an issue. You know, Latino families, we like to gather uh, with, with all the cousins and uh, abuelitos, grandparents, and we are, we like to stay together as a big family. So the logistics of moving that many people is not that easy. So transportation definitely is usually uh, a big barrier. And we hear from some, some that 
they don't feel welcome when they go. Unfortunately, those experiences can deter them to, to try again. I let you, Juan, share more. Yeah, I think one of the things is just like lack of knowledge as well. I've had a few uh, Latino family hikes here at Potasso, and it's taken the families maybe like 20 minutes to drive up here after I've given them directions. And they're all really shocked or surprised how close um, and easy it is to drive up to the mountains, at least for those specific families. They just never knew uh, that this park was up here or any other parks. Like they have mentioned like Chautauqua, which to me just seems like it's really easy and obvious, but people have driven by it and think it's not a trail for them or something that they could participate in. And I think uh, another issue is just feeling welcomed. Like whenever you pull up into a trailhead, whether it's Boulder County Parks and Open Space or Forest Service or National Parks, there's always a lot of signage and a lot of rules and regs that are listed. And most of the time they're just listed in English. So if you don't understand what it's saying, even if you do understand what it's saying, it can be overwhelming at times, uh, especially if one day you're at, I don't know, MPS, and then another day you come to Boulder County, like the rules can be similar, but they could also be very different. So I think it's that sense of just, this is not written for me, and this is not written for me to understand. And then I think the other thing is also representation, not just in the public, but also the employees. I know there's a sense of this feeling of maybe being targeted by the people that are working there, whether it's park rangers or any other employees, um, making them feel like they're targeted because they look different or like they don't belong, even though the intention may be positive. Um, sometimes it's, it's the way that you approach um, everyone that's coming. And I think that can make people feel excluded or not welcomed. A lot of uh, immigrant families that come to this country that are coming from countries where there's no such thing as public land. Uh, or if it is, it's very limited. And, uh, you know, when we tell the families, the Latino families, that almost 50% of the Rocky Mountains from Wyoming to New Mexico are public, they don't understand, like, what does that mean to me? You know, what, what is that? So explaining what it means and where and how, simple things that a lot of people, especially the Anglo community, understand. For a lot of immigrant families, those things, they don't get it. So the lack of information, like where they can go hiking or camping. So it's really basic information. But it's also programs like ours, you know, provide some of that you know, give, practically just holding their hands, all right? And, and take the families for a hike in the city parks or in state parks, going camping. Then hopefully what we want is those families to experience all those things on their own without anybody holding their hand. You know, there's families like Juanita was saying, you know, they've been in, in Boulder, for example, for years. And I had a, a, a story about two sisters that came up to Cowa to camp. Uh, with their families and uh and at one point they were kind of they went for a hike alone after dinner and they came back kind of almost in tears and i thought that was something happened to them but when i asked them they practically said no no no. it's just like a we you know we grew up in durango mexico in the mountains like this and uh we've been in boulder for 15 years and this is the first time that we actually came up to the mountains and spent the night 
And it feels so reconnected. It feels so good to feel like we were at home. And that's why, you know, our tears came down. And uh, so, you know, that story tells you that uh, the Latinos love the outdoors too. And like you were saying uh, here in the beginning, you know, there's a lot of communities that don't take advantage of this beautiful land in Colorado. I really believe that uh, if you live in the state, anywhere in the state, you need to experience the mountains because that's what Colorado is about. That's the first part of our conversation with Juanita Echeverri, Juan Ocampo, and Rafael Salgado, three Coloradans working to get more people into the outdoors, especially those from underrepresented communities. In just a moment, we'll talk about solutions to some of the barriers we've discussed and successes in the effort overall. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. We're speaking with Juanita Echeverri, Juan Ocampo, and Rafael Salgado, three Coloradans working to empower us all to get out and enjoy the great outdoors. We've been talking about some of the challenges, um, but I'm wondering if you guys could talk about some of the successes that you've had in your line of work um, working on this issue and maybe what you want the future of outdoor recreation to look like here in Colorado. Yeah, I can start. Um, I, I think, you know, Colorado is well known for its um, outdoor recreation. And, and there's companies who actually do their business here in Colorado for that reason. And uh, even the other industry, they would like to see some changes too. Uh, you know, their marketing uh, staff, they know that the Latino population is increasing in the country here in the state. And uh, they're trying to figure out how they can target this new community, you know, for their own business, I guess. And, uh, but uh, I can see, you know, things are changing. Um, it's just like everything else, all right? A Latino family that maybe the outdoors is not a priority right now, it can become a priority. You know, we had a family who bought a camper after camping here at Calwood in tents. Um, and the, the dad told me that they just, they loved it. They loved the experience so much that they invested in this camper. And, and now they've been, outside often because the mom didn't want to sleep in a tent in, on the ground anymore. So they invest the money on, on, a, on a camper. And I think the, the, the Latino families can invest as well. The problem is, you know, we just need to make sure that the outdoors become one of those priorities in their families' traditions. And, and I think that's what I hope that will happen in the future. Um, I hope there's more Latino families outdoor experiencing the, the Colorado outdoors. And not just that, but uh, participating in, in as a volunteers, fixing trails, uh, participating in college. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff that's happening. You know, a lot of programs are doing a really good job. Um, you know, I, I think in my point of view, we just need to coordinate things a little bit better so that we as an organization, the agencies can uh, build that pipeline for those youth, for those families. And, but I think the future here in Colorado is really promising. I think we're lucky to be in the state where, you know, there's a lot of support about the outdoors. And, uh, and, and I think it's, it's going to be good. You know, we just need to work harder and, and coordinate things a little bit better. 
and Juanita or Juan, any thoughts about what you want the future of outdoor recreation to look like? Uh, for me, at least right now, my like view or my scope is a little bit more, it's smaller, a little bit more focused in uh, where I'm working at. And I would like to see more people or more rangers of color and then just in general in the parks and whole entire parks and open space department uh, be more diverse in terms of being uh, bilingual or bicultural. Uh, this year, so we hired five seasonal rangers each summer. And this year we were fortunate enough to have uh, two qualified uh, seasonal rangers that are also people of color. And then just having them on the team um, is a huge difference. And it's also a good way, at least for me, to just feel more welcomed into the team. Um, even though I know their season is going to end, but it's just a different way to interact. Um, I don't know, like being able to talk in Spanish with my coworkers is a huge deal. Um, whether it's like talking about the job or just joking around, I think that's um, like, that's huge. And that makes me more excited and that makes me more passionate and, and just kind of grows that desire to have more Latinos in this field. And because I'm working in Boulder County, that's where my focus is. But I really, to me, it doesn't matter where they end up as long as they're moving forward and kind of staying in this, this field. Uh, we had one of the Rangers start out thinking he wanted to be a Ranger, but just being in this work crew, he decided that trails seemed more exciting to him. And that's what he's applying for, for next season. So. I'm sad that he's not coming back to our team, but he's still going to be in this field. And I think, and I think that's, that's a win when I think when you have employees or people working that are in these fields that are bilingual or bicultural or just represent the entire community that makes the community excited. I think earlier you asked too about a success and every year there's a national night out where the community has an opportunity to come out and meet with different first responders, whether it's firefighters, uh, medical police officers, deputies, and park rangers as well. And one of our seasonal rangers, Jose Barrientos, and I went to San Lazaro, which is a mobile home community here in Boulder. And there's all these different organizations with like cool, like either search and rescue dogs or, you know, the firefighters always take the attention with like their fire trucks. And then here Jose and I are with this very simple table set up. We just had s'mores for the kids, but that community is mainly Latino and they were so excited to see us. And they're like, oh, I can ask you questions. Like we can actually communicate. And I've driven by this park. Can you tell me if it's what it is or what I can do there? So, or even asking like, I've seen people like you around. <laughs> what do you do? And can't like, is it okay to approach you? So that's a huge success. Um, and I want to be able, I don't want to be the only one in Boulder County Parks and Open Space able to do that. Like I want more of us to be out there to welcome the community. Cause that's, I don't know, when the community feels welcome, they're going to try to go out. Yes. I think the more uh, all of us uh, keep working together and collaborating, the better experiences we can offer to the families. Sometimes it, take, it takes just that one opportunity 
for the families to come to an outing, to an adventure. So the more we collaborate as organizations, we all offer similar things, but also very different experiences. So hopefully we can we get to just work all as a team and, and definitely expand our reach and expand our offerings and make sure that all know at least that they have access, that they are welcome and all the ways they can experience the outdoor in a safely fun way all year round. That was Juanita Echeverri, Education and Outreach Coordinator with the City of Boulder Open Space and Mountain Parks, Juan Ocampo, a resident ranger with Boulder County Parks and Open Space at Batasso Reserve, and Rafael Salgado, Executive Director of Cowwood Education Center in Jamestown, Colorado. Thank you all for speaking with us. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's going to take years, if not decades, for the burn scar from last year's Cameron Peak fire to fully recover. Ashy soil from charred trees is all that's left in many areas of what is a critical watershed for some Front Range communities. But there are spots that were largely spared because of some unlikely animals that make their home near the Poudre River. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. Emily Fairfax and I are trudging across a field of knee-high grass. We're about an hour's drive into the Poudre Canyon, surrounded by scorched and charred hillsides from last year's fire. But underfoot, it's the kind of golden green meadow that swishes around your legs with each step. So this is pretty active beaver landscape. You are in marshy terrain. Uh, So even though it feels solid right now, at any point you could step into water. So just don't be alarmed if you do. And at a few points, the only way around some of that water is through. How secure is the footing on the other side? Not. <laughs> Not secure would be the correct assessment of that. But we're still- we need to be extra careful because this swampy landscape has been sculpted by beavers. Fairfax is an eco-hydrologist who studies the creatures, and she's navigating these narrow channels snaking through the wetland. And there are a ton of them. Oh my gosh, I can't even count them. It's a lot. Um, there's at least uh, about 10 ponds up here that are large enough to see in satellite images. And then between all those ponds is just an absolute spider web of canals, many of which are too small for me to see until I'm here on the ground. Beavers create these wetlands by damming up a stream, then they build out a network of channels. Because they fundamentally change the flow of the water, a lot more of it stays in one place. And in this case, it makes a little patch of land that's partially fire resistant. That's why right here, we're in the middle of a lush, soggy meadow. But just a stone's throw away, you can see how close the Cameron Peak fire came to this area. When you're at this beaver complex, it never stops being green. And everything else in the landscape, the hill slopes on either side, they both charred. They lost all their vegetation during this fire. Um, But this spot, it did not. These plants were here last year and they're still here today. About 100 feet past this spot, the burned trees still have some of their needles. Another 100 feet past that, they're just blackened toothpicks. It shows just how effectively the wet ground held back the fire. Beavers are crepuscular animals, meaning they're only active at dawn and dusk. So we didn't see any on this visit. But once it gets dark, they'll be back to work on this landscape, which also serves as a kind of reservoir. It's mimicking this critical function that used to be pervasive in these riverscapes. 
Joe Wheaton studies the flow and formation of rivers at Utah State University. And is a similar function to what snowpack does of, of inefficient movement of water that leads to healthier riverscapes. Just like snow, beaver wetlands hold water for gradual release, slowing it down on its way to the places where we humans divert and collect it. And that's likely to get more important. Climate change means warmer temperatures and less snow, making high mountain water storage even more valuable. And the wetland storage system can be bigger than it looks, since more than 80% of their water is actually underground. But in the grand scheme of things, Wheaton says it's just not that much water. Beaver are not going to be the miracle answer. You're not going to create, you know, more more water. Where it's the most effective is on a small scale, like when a rancher gets water a bit longer into the season during a drought year. And Emily Fairfax says that is not lost on humans who have tried to reap the benefits of beaver wetlands by creating their own. We have tried building what are called beaver dam analogs, which are essentially fake beaver dams. We build them. There have been a number of different designs where we try to recreate all these great things that beavers are doing. Ultimately, though, they just aren't as effective as the real thing. The beaver complex and the beaver wetland is so much more than the dam. It's the channels, it's the digging, it's the chewing, it's the constantly, you know, changing the landscape, the dynamics, the flexibility. Fairfax did see a complex serve as a fire break one time here in Colorado, but she said it'll take far more research before we can figure out just how effective they are when it comes to slowing down wildfires on a larger scale. But for now, these areas are surviving as oases of green in the middle of big fires across the West. Alex Hager, KUNC. That's our show for today. Next week on Colorado Edition, we hear how local restaurants are handling ongoing staffing shortages from the pandemic. I'm Henry Zimmerman. Our production team includes Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.